Welcome to Doing a World of Good, a podcast from the American Institute of Chemical Engineers and generously supported by Raj and Kumla Gupta, shining the light on the positive works of our members and supporters. I'm your host, Bob Norton. Most chemical engineers are probably already familiar with the importance of distillation technology, but many may not realize that recent advancements in this tech for every sector from energy to medicine are making it one of the most exciting areas of chemical engineering today. So, to discuss how research into separations technology is reshaping entire industries and improving life for us all, we have two leading separations experts with us today. First up, we welcome Jose Bravo, President of Chemical Engineering Consultancy, Fractionation Research Incorporated, or FRI. Welcome, Jose. Thank you, Bob. Happy to be here. And also with us, we have uh, Dr. Joan Berenike, a Professor of Chemical Engineering and Cockrell Family Chair in Engineering at the University of Texas at Austin. Welcome, Joan. Did I get your name right? Did I pronounce it correctly? Pretty close. Joan Berenike. So, yes, very happy to be here. Wonderful. Wonderful to have you both on the program. Now, this is obviously going to be a bit of a complex discussion. So, J- Jose, let's start by putting things into perspective. Why does the industry as a whole need to pay more focused attention to separations technologies, and how important are these technologies for the sustainability of the energy and chemical industries? The the chemical industries, and, and I'm included when I say that, refining and gas, but all of the process industries basically rely on basically two things they do. They, they make reactions to make products, and then they do separations to either uh, prepare feeds or purify products. So it's it's one of the two major pillars of what the process industries are and and have been for for many years. Uh, if you look at the at the current situation, uh, I would say easily fifty percent of the capital and fifty percent of the energy that uh, uh, an operation uses is uh, related directly to separations and. Of course, in, the, in terms of sustainability, well, more and more as we require uh, pure and pure products and cleaner and cleaner uh, offtakes, uh, separations become a, a significant player in, 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 in ensuring that sustainability. Distillation in particular is, is the most prevalent one now, is what we use most of the time. We've been using it for a few hundred years, uh, ever since... Uh, People wanted to concentrate wine to make uh, stronger liquor, <laughs> uh, but uh, but other things have, are are slowly moving and 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 coming into the uh, into the place. So distillation is there, very prevalent. A lot of money spent on it. Uh, in in reality, separations as a whole is is a field that uh, has everything to grow into in terms of sustainability. Now, is there anything in particular going on in the industry right now that's making it come more to the forefront, or what's making it more exciting to work in this particular space right now? Well, one of it is is, is the fact that that uh, uh, demand of of products in many parts of the world is uh, is is continuing to increase. Population increases, need for energy increases, and so on, and that demands more products. the The key is that because it's so expensive to to set these things up, 
the 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 ability to do this in what's called an intensified way, meaning how can you do this with the smallest possible equipment and with the least amount of energy possible becomes a very strong economic driver. So as growth continues to push for more and more uh, installations, basically, at the same time, the, the, the people that are uh, making those installations are, are in, a, in a drive to reduce cost and increase efficiency. And, and that's, that, that double pull has created very many advances in fields that are, some of them are, are very prevalent, like I say, in distillation. Uh, some of them are very novel and, and, uh, and it, 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 it's pulling in both, uh, in both directions. One of the issues with distillation is that a lot of people talk about it as a mature technology. Uh, and, and for that reason, they don't see a research component into it. Whereas I can tell you that the technology of distillation itself has advanced tremendously in the last 50 years. Uh, and we can do things now that we weren't able to do before with half the cost and half the energy because of advanced in distillation technology. The other ones are coming up into the field as well, and 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 that's uh, that's that's interesting. The the other one that I think we'll talk about a bit a little bit, little bit later is the fact that distillation, combined with some other things, some other separations technology, can become a very uh, very efficient way of doing things. So that's what we call hybrid separations. Well, let me move on and talk a little bit about. Um the National Academy of Sciences Engineering Medicine recent report. Um, Joan, given what Jose has just told us, why were improvements to separations technologies not included in this particular report on transforming separation science? Um, It seems like that would have been a key component of that. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, the the, uh, National Academy's report uh, did uh, focus on separations. Uh, There was just not an emphasis on distillation technology. Distillation technology. So that's where the uh, – why was distillation technology particularly left out? Yeah, let me explain a little bit. Uh, But first I want to say that I completely agree with Jose on the tremendous importance of separation technology, uh, not just in the chemical process industries, but in pharmaceuticals, in medicine, in environmental issues. Uh, Being able to do separations is absolutely key to so much of what we do as chemical engineers. and uh, being able to do that with, as uh, Jose pointed out, lower energy, our operating costs, and lower capital is really, really important. Um, the National Academy's uh, report, I was the chair of the committee uh, that um, uh, uh, prepared that report. Um, and uh, the reason why we didn't focus on uh, recommendations of improvements in uh, distillation technology is because of the charge that was given to the committee. So uh, the committee was asked to prepare a research agenda for fundamental research in separation science as mm. opposed to advances in technology. Um, and, uh, and this really goes to who was sponsoring the, the, uh, the study um, the the um, report was uh, funded by the National Science Foundation. Of course, we know NSF is very much in, interested in very fundamental science. 
uh, and NIST, and most importantly, uh, the Department of Energy basic energy science. And so our charge was to look at the very fundamentals of separation science. Uh, and so there's no way where we're saying that uh, uh, distillation isn't important because it's incredibly important. And there are tremendous opportunities for advancement. Uh, in distillation technology, but we were just looking on the more fundamental side of things. So you, it, you know, Bob, you know, Bob, if I, if I may, please, add a little commentary to what Joan uh, said. This this whole idea of, of getting Joan and I to talk together to you came from the fact that we both ended up being mentioned uh, in uh, in an, an issue of chemical engineering progress. Okay. Uh, she was talking about that report, and I was talking about, about advances in distillation. In the uh, in the in the advances in distillation stuff that that I put there, uh, there is a, basically a, 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 a complaining section or a whining section <laughs> in, in in that 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 we don't see the commitment. From, from some of the funding sources to enter into such uh, areas, okay? So, yes, it's clear the National Science Foundation and, and some of the offices of DOE and so on are after basic science, and I think that is absolutely appropriate. But I think that as, a, as support for the U.S. particularly uh, development and, and, and the global impact, some agencies may, may consider funding uh, some research that is not on fundamental stuff, but actually on technology things. I, I had a very interesting conversation with somebody from one of these funding agencies asking them, why don't you fund distillation research? And he said the answer was, because it's a mature technology. And then my question was, why is it a mature technology? How do you know it's a mature technology? Oh, because we don't fund any research in it. <laughs> that sounds a little <laughs> circular, Jose. So that was part of the, the idea of getting together is that the, the, the point of view of, of, of Joan is, is definitely uh, uh, extremely important, but I was complaining that they weren't paying attention to the technologists as opposed to the scientists, you know. So now one, one I think, good example uh, is, in fact, um, RAPID, uh, which is, of course, administered by uh, AICHE. Right. And the funding from that comes from the Department of Energy, but it comes from the Advanced Manufacturing Office, right? right? So, so their mission is much more towards uh, manufacturing, including chemical manufacturing, as opposed to fundamental science. And so advances in distillation technology would much more logically fit in their, their wheelhouse. And, you know, I think some of the process intensification things that uh, Jose was talking about and that he talks about in his article with uh, dividing wall columns and, and uh, mass and heat integration and distillation columns is, is something that is very appropriate for for that, that part of the Department of Energy. Well, let's keep talking about that because it's just like, what is the ideal role for fundamental science in advancing technological innovations in chemical separations? I mean, what is what would you say would be the perfect partnership in terms of this type of uh, this type of application? Well, I think 
that, you know, some of the federal agencies like Basic Energy Science and like the National Science Foundation are really appropriate for, for funding uh, fundamental separation science. So, you know, what we're trying to do with, with uh, that is, you know, really understand all the interactions and all the ways in which we could possibly facilitate uh, separations on a very fundamental molecular, if you will, level. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that I was excited about in uh, participating in this committee at the National Academies was that we had kind of an even group of uh, folks from chemistry, from sort of analytical chemistry and those from chemical engineering. And we did have uh, people who had experience in industry on the committee. Uh, but what I was really excited about seeing was that, you know, there were all kinds of ideas that the analytical chemists use in designing small-scale separations because they don't they don't feel you know um, uh, limited by oh my gosh how do I scale this up because sometimes they're doing things on very small scale and so they are able to explore what those interactions are and to develop uh, materials and methodologies to do separations uh, that I think chemical engineers may not always think of. And so it's sort of that crosstalk between the analytical chemists uh, interested in small-scale separations and those of us who are chemical engineers uh, who try to think about how we could apply that to larger systems, uh, I think is very exciting. Uh, but, you know, there, there's been many advances. I mean, some of the you know other ways that we can do separations, I mean, the, the poster child is, of course, uh, desalination of water. Right. Mm, so yeah. we used, yeah, we used to take uh, seawater and we'd boil it off and get distilled water that we could drink and leave the brine behind. Uh, and that's been essentially replaced by reverse osmosis membranes, uh, which use significantly less energy. And so that's, a, you know, an example of how a, uh, you know, more fundamental research in separations materials uh, you know, eventually led to really large-scale commercial processes. Uh, so I think there's a place for uh, for research and development at all areas along the spectrum. And uh, I think the issue is just getting the balance right of the agencies that fund the fundamental research uh, versus the parts of agencies that would, would fund the uh, things more related to technological advances. Well, let me let me get your opinion. of. I would love for both of you to weigh in on this. Does the government need to become more directly involved in funding research and separations technologies, or is this best left to the private sector? I mean, which is the better way to proceed? Because this seems like it's really important for the advancement of the of the business as a whole. Well, I mean, I, go, go ahead, first. Jose. Go ahead, Jose. Okay. The answer is, to me is yes, and and and, I, and I'll tell you why. Because it's a matter of managing risk. The the if you leave it in, in the private sector, the risk profile of some of these things is so high that when they analyze it, it appears that the best thing is to do nothing. What do you mean by risk? Clarify that for me. Well, the risk, the risk that I'm going to invest half a billion dollars on a facility that is not going to work. Okay. okay. Because, because, because we're going to be using first of a kind, brand new technology, right? So, so 
in the end, in the end of the, on the other side of where Joan uh, uh, operates, there is the technology readiness uh, factor. There's a de-risking factor. How can you take the risk to apply a technology and, uh, and, and, and hope that it works? Because if I'm going to spend half a billion dollars and I have a 50-50 chance of it working, and if I spend, you know, three quarters of a billion dollars and I have a 95% chance of working, many, many companies will decide to go for the, the less risky option. Okay, mm. that's, that's where I see the government being able to help in that in the risking technology allows the private sector to do the investment. So it's not that the government would invest in act, the actual technology. It's more that the, the government helps private industry or private, the private side manage the risk, understand the risk. And 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 deal with it. Okay. In the end, the decision is going to be, is going to come to the private sector, and it's going to be about uh, profitability and and sustainability, right? So, uh, but managing the risk is where the government can help. And 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 a lot of people, you have inventions and technology that sit for a long time without it being used because the 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 companies don't want to take the risk. Okay. And, and 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 helping those those inventions you want to call them move into the, the the commercial sphere is where I see the government helping as you get close to implementation. I don't th- I, I think things like rapid, as Joan said, go uh, distance to doing that. But I don't think there's a consensus or there's a a drive in in, in government to associate funding of technology development. Uh, as as much as there is a consensus in funding basic science, okay. Yeah, I can see that, and I can I totally understand the the concept of government making. Um, maybe maybe you can make brave as scientists as researchers you can make braver choices um, under a government umbrella than you could under the private sector, which would be more risk averse and not willing to explore new opportunities. And would be just taking the position that the the science is already where it needs to be. Um, Joan, what what would you say? Well, I I I I think that what Jose said, I would fully agree with. Um, and in fact, one of the things that we tried to emphasize in the academy's report is that uh, understanding the fundamentals is an important way to de-risk technology. So, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so, um, you know, a lot of the newer separation uh, processes uh, involve the use of specially designed materials, right? Add absorbance and absorbance and membranes and so on, all right? But, uh, for instance, one of the problems is how does their performance change with time, all right? How is their degradation with time? Well, understanding the mechanisms, the chemistry and the physics of how that occurs is incredibly important so that we can mitigate it or design around it. So understanding those fundamentals is the key, one of the big keys to de-risking some of these materials-based separation uh, uh, technologies. Um, because as Jose said, I mean, you know, when you're putting in a new separation unit, this is not small amounts of money. This is large amounts of capital investment. 
And you certainly cannot afford for that to not work. So confidence that you know all the mechanisms and you know you could, you know, you're not going to have big surprises. You're not going to have those surprises uh, is really how fundamental science can contribute. Now, that's on the on the big scale. But given that even small improvements in widely used technologies can be you know, very impactful, do you think that research in these areas should be better supported? And if so, what kind of support here would be most helpful to you? Um, Joan, we'll start with you again since we're, we have you. Well, and, and uh, you know, this is the fine line between, uh, you know, where is it that government uh, help in de-risking technologies uh, should be handed off to the uh, companies to do their own improvements, right? So it, it's kind of a, a judgment call on, you know, the spectrum of technology readiness level or so on that um, should the handoff should occur. Uh, and, you know, I certainly understand that uh, companies can't always invest that money themselves um, and that uh, government help and facilities can be helpful with these things. So, I mean, example, I, you know, I've done some work on uh, CO2 separations. And so there is the National Carbon Capture Center, uh, which provides, you know, real flue gas from power plants that people can come with their pilot plant units to uh, to test their new materials. Um, so it's not, uh, you know, so that's kind of a compromise in that the that some companies would still be taking some risk in their uh, development activities, but then the government helps support a facility where those technologies can be tested. So uh, I don't know that there's any simple answer um, of, you know, where that handoff should be. Um, but, uh, you know, getting uh, new or improved technologies in, into operation um, is incredibly important because of, you know, every reduction in energy is not just a cost savings, but that's also an environmental benefit as well, as, as Jose was talking about, the sustainability. It seems like it would be the low-hanging fruit as well. You know, it's the opportunity that's just waiting to be taken advantage of. Am I right about that? Jose? I, 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 think, so. <laughs> I, I, I think so. I mean, uh, I, I, I don't know that low-hanging fruit sometimes bumps you in the head, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes so, it does. <laughs> I mean, it depends if it's a, a peach or a papaya, you know. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, uh, but uh, let, let, let me give you a couple of, of, of kind of for instances. First, you have to look at, the, at, at this in a global basis, okay? Uh, there are countries... In, in the world right now where the government is actually funding technology development directly. Uh, I mean, for example, China, okay? That's, that's a very common thing. This model they have of semi-private, semi-government uh, institutions is basically brings it all together and, and they're doing that. Second instance that I want to uh, focus is you also have to realize that a lot of these chemical engineers like the ones that Joan who ably trains at the University of Texas, and I used to, by the way, uh, end up working in industry, right? So exposure to the, the more, 
pedestrian side of technology is not a bad thing. It's actually something that that they would uh, they would benefit from. So, how what is the role for the government in 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 pushing these small uh, advancements? I think that there is very clearly a distinction between uh, technology that is really to make uh, more money for the suppliers of equipment for the technology suppliers and the companies that use it but there's also technology that has this added sustainability benefit okay uh, and 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 the example that uh, that Joan used of the divider wall column is an excellent example that there I mean it, it makes sense for a company to do it when, when it's applicable it makes sense to do research in it to de-risk it but it also makes very much sense from the sustainability point of view. So to, to me, that particular one uh, is a marriage where both industry and the government can collaborate on. Right? Mm. Uh, uh, it's not necessarily just a new gadget that, that is going to be sold by the millions by somebody. It's, it's something that changes fundamentally the way we, uh, we, uh, we approach things. And the other one was the one we talked about earlier, is hybrids. Okay, we, we are a little bit stubborn us separations engineers and we like to do the separation with one thing so we do desalination so we boil the water or we use membranes right and and you find out that if even from the very fundamental thermodynamics point of view if you start to play to the strengths of different technologies or different sciences you end up with much more efficient processes uh joan was talking about co2 I know of processes that take advantage of the CO2 freezing characteristics that end up combining crystallization with distillation to provide a very efficient method to, to collect CO2 when the source is a high-pressure gas. So there is a, 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 there, there's a lot of uh, kind of uh, almost implementation level technologies that have great sustainability value that the government could really, really help in, in, in partnering with industry to support those things. Yeah, you, we, you both mentioned to me in the preparation for the show that you're interested in hybrid separation type processes. Um, Joan, maybe you could give a few more examples of some of the more exciting opportunities and potential use cases in this area. Well, I, I think there's lots of cases. I think uh, Jose said it's right. We, everybody, I, I want to just do distillation or I just want to do a membrane when, in fact, the better choice might be a combination of those two. So perhaps where you've got a gas mixture, you could put it through a, uh, a membrane for a quick cut in the beginning uh, so that then only a portion of your gas stream would have to be run through or your liquid stream that after you condense it would have to be going into your distillation column. Right? So you could reduce the volume that you have to, have to process in the distillation column by first using a, a, a rough cut uh, with one of these materials-based uh, separation uh, technologies. Or you can think of the other case or where – uh, you know, you you uh, want to do very special cleanup of a particular stream so that you can increase the throughput through your distillation column but not get quite as high purity of your uh, product. 
but then take that small volume product stream and use a membrane or adsorption or something uh, to get the slightly higher purity that you uh, desire. So sort of the combinations of these. Now we do lots of this all the time in, especially in pre-treating things for separations. So for instance, um, you know, uh, removing water from uh, natural gas, all right? Hmm. Um, you know, we use an adsorbent, for instance, to remove the water before we then do the CO2 uh, methane separation. So, you know, sort of this, um, uh, you know, pre-treating uh, of, of streams that need to be separated uh, using, you know, a different kind of, of uh, separation technology is done uh, very frequently. But, uh, you know, thinking of that in a more general way of how we can combine different types of uh, separation technology, I think, uh, could have some really significant advances. Well, this is... There is, there is, there is one, one area of research that interests me particularly. Okay. And that is the, the most efficient separation technology that exists is the one you don't have to use, right? Mm. So if you didn't have to do separations, that's the best way. So the, the combination of reaction and separations is also a hybrid that needs to be explored. What's the optimum amount of connect, what, how you do the connection between reaction and separation so that you end up with the lowest energy consumption or whatever, whatever measure you're going to use. But a lot of people have not, the chemists have worked, and the, especially the catalyst chemists, have worked kind of on their side, and then the separation people on their side. And then the, the chemists come to the separation people and says, this is what we're making, clean it up. And, uh, and, 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 you know, I had a, a, a very quick case where somebody came to me and said, okay, we managed to convert uh, methane uh, to... Uh, to ethane and, and propane, right? To kind of uh, uh, react the methane. But we have to do it at atmospheric pressure and at a very high temperature. But you need to separate the methane from the propane, okay? Or from the ethane. And of course, what you have to do is compress it and cool it <laughs> So if you want to go the traditional way. If they could have done the reaction at a higher pressure and temperature, knowing how expensive it would be to not do it, you could gain a lot. So. Hybrid does not only imply combination of separation processes, but the interaction of the separation process with whatever is generating or using the stream that's related to the separation process. And there's there's a great deal of, of advancement that can be made in that area, all the way from fundamentals to very practical things. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, and you know, the classic example of this is you know reactive distillation, but. Uh, you know, kind of keying on this idea, uh, Susanna Scott at um, University of California, uh, Santa Barbara and I um, presented an idea to the Department of Energy, um, the basic energy sciences, the uh, chemical sciences, geosciences and biosciences groups uh, to have a focused workshop on this interplay between reaction, catalysis and separations on how you can use them together uh, as Jose was saying, all the way from the macroscopic scale, all the way down to the, you know, molecular scale. And so we're working on uh, putting that workshop together, which will happen later this fall. So 
That's really There's lots of opportunities. In, yeah, it uh, sounds like there's lots, would, lots of opportunities. Would, would, and this would, is you invi- would you invite me, John? <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, yes, we will certainly talk about that. <laughs> well, this has been a fascinating conversation, but we're out of time. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Well, thank you, Bob. This was good. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, too, very much. Thank you. Our guests today have been Jose Bravo and Dr. Joan Berenike. For more details about the topics we discuss or to find out more about the Doing a World of Good campaign, visit doingaworldofgood.org. And that does it for this episode of Doing a World of Good. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, search for us on your favorite podcast directory or visit doingaworldofgood.org. On behalf of everyone at the American Institute of Chemical Engineers, I'm Bob Norp. Thanks for listening. Thank you.